Turn with me to Romans 12, verses 9 through 16. And I want you to think of yourself when you're reading this. In the ESV, which is the European Bible, the heading says, true marks of a Christian. I want you to take a moment. When I read these aloud, I want you to think, how am I doing? Okay? This is your little report card before we go into 2017. Let love be genuine. How are you doing so far? Not real good. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Wow. My scorecard was bad. Especially on the first one and the last one, which seemed to be really easy. We're all wise in our own mind, aren't we? So I became conflicted when I read this. I said, I thought this was going to give me hope, Rob. Going to the scriptures didn't give me hope. It actually made me feel guilty at this point. I go, I am falling so far short of what this standard should be. But then I realized I've grown up in this church. I've grown up at Westminster Academy, went to seminary at Knox, and they have taught me a theology, a robust theology. And I hope the re- my theology teach me, teaches me what I'm supposed to believe about God. But the problem is my theology is not leading into doxology. My theology has not led me into doxology. And I said, what is wrong? And that's where I'm at today. And I want you to hear me. Because at the end of the day, I'm afraid I'm not the only one here. We've got great theology and poor doxology. And those two should not coexist. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is powerful. It cuts, it's active, it's like a knife. And we're begging for surgery right now. We ask that these words that you give us are your words, not mine. But we will see you in the end. In Christ's name, amen. Sam Lamerson was here last week. He was my professor at Knox. Um, I love that guy, his little bow tie, is he the coolest? He just is cool. Um, so self-confident, we, everybody loves Sam. And yet he's so humble. And he was my professor, and the first year I got into seminary, he said, Dwayne, I need you to do something for me. He says, I want you to learn how to read a book. You know, that's kind of insulting, I've gone to college, Westminster. And so the first thing he recommended is how to read a book by Mortimer Adler. It's a little book, and that, I enjoyed that because it was small. But it was common sense stuff like read the table of contents, the introduction, all of that. And when I was done, I said, well, that was very helpful. But I began to think of that story, that, that relationship. And I think very often we do not teach everyone how to read the Bible. 
We use the Bible with proof text. We want to prove things. So we go grab a verse over here. We grab a verse over here, grab a verse here. And we said, let's pick the verses that all seem to work for us, for us in our own life. But there's a pattern that Paul is writing in the book of Romans. And we have to understand that pattern first. We tend to look at the minutia of scripture and don't look at the macro view. Paul is trying to do something in this book. And he breaks it in two parts. He breaks it into Romans 1 through 11, and then Romans 12 through 16. The first part is exposition. What I mean by exposition, he's bringing out to light something. He's telling us a story. The next is exhortation. So it goes from exposition to exhortation. This is really important. That's when he urges you to do something. He wants you to do something at the end. He wants you to become something. And verse 12 is, chapter 12 is where we're at. But you can't understand 12 unless you understand the other chapters. So 1 through 11, basically the summary of these is, he shows us all how we have sinned. We've broken the law, and Christ by faith is our only hope. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 say, Paul tells the Jew and the Gentiles, you're all a mess. You've all fallen short. That's what his whole goal in the first three chapters. Then he comes and says four and five, there's no distinction between the Jew, Gentile, male, female, races, colors, creeds, everything. There is no distinctions. You are all in need of the same thing. Six and seven, he says, you're dead to sin. Very important. Your new master is not gonna be sin anymore. And you're dead to the law. You're freed from the law. The bondage that's holding you down. And we're gonna live a life in the spirit. Sometimes as Presbyterians, I'm afraid we're not always in the spirit. We don't believe to even use that word. But I can tell you today, you could feel when the spirit is moving. A life in the spirit is well lived. And then he wants to show that God is saving promise is going to come through a promise, not through a race or nationality. And then finally, he gives a message to all that salvation is for all. And then we get to 12. And this is when he begins his exhortation. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to... Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is what we'll be covering. We want two ideas today, but I want to go through these verses before I tell you what those two ideas are. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. The two ideas I want you to see today is spiritual worship and doing the will of God. Those are the two ideas. I think too often we've heard in this church a a contradictory message or a confusing message. Sometimes we think, hey, there's nothing that we actually have to do. In some sense, that's true. In some sense, it's not true. God does command us and give us imperatives of things he does, want us to do. And there's things that when he talks to what we wants us to do are mostly so that we can get freedom from sin. He commands us to pray. He commands us to read. Do not be anxious. And as I began looking at this list of 9 through 16, it is not a law. It is what you're going to look like. Big difference. So when we look at these verses, I want you to look at the very first thing. He says, I appeal to you. In the King James, it says, I beseech you. I urge you. That's his exhortation. And the next, he says, therefore. Whenever you see therefore, you got to ask, what's it there for? You've heard that over and over. 
The reason it's there is to say there's a change. We went from exposition, now we're going to exhortation. And he says, brothers, who's the audience? Christians. This is a story about you. This is a story about you. And he says, by the mercies of God, the most important thing we understand that none of what's going to happen in the second part of Romans will happen if we don't understand that the mercies of God are there. To present your body, here's the goal, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And what do we want? Which is your spiritual worship. What does spiritual worship look like? It, to me, I think of worship as what we just did. What Paul says, it's going to be different. You're going to present yourselves. I want you to think of this. None of us want to present ourselves because we know what we look like. We were just having a debate. I'm wearing this suit, which I, or jacket, which is hard enough for me. I'm glad it's 49 degrees because I sweat no matter what. And this suit doesn't feel like me. When I had the tie in the last service, certainly didn't feel like me. And then I had something in my pocket that was red. It didn't feel like me. And I remember having this talk at seminary with R.C. Sproul. He had said, the reason you dress up, please don't go to the first service and get mad at him in first service and vice versa. The reason you dress up is you're preparing. You're preparing to go meet God. I said, that sounds good. I like that. He says, it's like if you were going to go to the queen. I said, that's true. I would dress up. I'd get my cufflinks on. I'd find cufflinks. I'd tie my shoes. I'd put on good socks. I'd do it all. But that's the queen. Then I asked him, I said, but I feel quite different if I was going to go speak to God. How much would you care about your outfit? I wouldn't. Because what can he see? Your heart. So when we talk about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, God is looking far deeper than our shallow perspective of putting on a coat. A coat doesn't protect me. It's far deeper. My heart is the problem. Are we living sacrifices? That's a wonderful idea because the truth is they don't make sense. A sacrifice is dead. But Christ says you're alive. So it's important that you know you're living and that you're offering your life as what? Holy and acceptable. The only reason you're acceptable to God is because of Christ and what he's done. And that's why the word brothers makes the difference. We've moved from death to life, like it says in Romans. We become obedient to Christ, not to sin. We're slaves to righteousness for sanctification. Years ago, Dr. Kennedy told a sermon here. It was called, uh, I'll give you the name at the end because I don't want to lose the punchline, but it was a sermon that I remember sitting, I used to sit up in that top balcony because I think that's where all the kids that wanted to stay in trouble would sit. And we were up there and all my friends would be up there. And he tells a story and he says, Alexander the Great, one of the great military leaders who ever lived, conquered almost the entire known world with his vast army. One night during a campaign, he couldn't sleep and he left his tent and walked around the campus. And as he was walking, he came across a soldier asleep on guard duty, a serious event. The penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was, in some cases, instant death. The commanding officer sometimes poured kerosene on the sleeping soldier and lit it. The soldier began to wake up as Alexander the Great approached him. Recognizing he was standing in front of him, the young man feared for his life. 
Do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep on guard duty? Alexander the Great asked the soldier. Yes, sir. The soldier responded in a quivering voice. Soldier, what is your name? Demanded Alexander the Great. Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great repeated the question. What is your name? My name is Alexander, sir, the soldier repeated. A third time, and more loudly, Alexander the Great asked, what is your name? And a third time, the soldier meekly said, my name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great then looked the young soldier straight in the eye. Soldier, he said with intensity, either change your name or change your conduct. I mean, I was, that was one of those, and Dr. Kennedy did it with a lot more passion than I did. And so I thought, oh no, is this what Jesus really thinks about me? I said, I hope not. Because my conduct, I don't know if I could bear the name Christian. That's the way I felt. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, he doesn't feel that way about you. I want you to know that. You're called a Christian, not because of what you've done, but what he's done. And he gives you that name, not because you're good, because he's amazing. And you're called a Christian, you'll never part from that. But it doesn't change the fact that he has something amazing for you. And that you are going to be conformed to the image of his son. So look at the second part. It says, do not be conformed to this world in Romans 2, 12, 2. It says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. I'll tell you right now, it's hard in East Fort Lauderdale not to be conformed to this world. Well, I'm going to tell you some more about it. If you go down to the boat show, there's miles and miles of yachts. There's more yachts per capita in Fort Lauderdale than any place in the world. We have everything. You just have to drive down Federal Highway and you see more than your eyes should ever see. Men, we got all kinds of mess of problems. And it's real and it's coming in. And it says, do not love the world. And John, 1 John 2.15, it, it says, do not love the things of this world. The problem is, is I love them. I was wondering, why is my heart becoming stagnant? My heart's becoming stagnant because I've changed the things that God has promised. We're like a dog returning to vomit. We keep clamoring for the things of this world and we want them. We want security. We want protection. We want things. We want possessions. I actually think it's harder here than it is in other places of the world because they know their dependency on God. At First Peter, it says this, do not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Those were the things we wanted, and yet we still go back and back and back. And I know for me personally, I feel like I go this far, and then I come back. It's a constant battle. So what I was feeling during this break was that. Why am I dead? Because the things of this world are so abundantly clear in my face. Man. I'll tell you, there's nothing I love more than going to Coral Ridge Country Club and playing golf. I love it more than anything. Problem is, I love it more than scripture. And I love it more, love it more than meeting God in places. So when we talk about being transformed, what do we have to know? We have to know we're 
being renewed by Christ and his spirit. It says in Titus, by the washing of regeneration on the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone in this process, guys. God is at work in your hearts. But I love this in Corinthians. It says our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. Hallelujah. Because my outer self is going away. Because I hate that part. I want this part. I want to look at that true marks and say, Lord, I want my love to be genuine. Do you? Do you? Yes. We're also being renewed with the knowledge of our creator. Romans 1, it starts out very clearly. It says, they exchanged the creation for the creator. One of our biggest problems is we love what God has made. We don't actually love God. So being transformed in this, you're not alone. Holy Spirit's with you. He's renewing your mind. He's bringing it back to what God has said. But you're not going to get lost. I want you to hear this. The final thing is, if how many people have read Screwtape Letters or read a portion of it? What's Screwtape Letters about? It's a satirical writing where C.S. Lewis writes this book. And basically it talks about the demon world and how there's these chief demons that have apprentices that they train. And their whole goal is to keep us in trouble, keep the church a mess. And so they think of strategies how to distract us. It could be lust, it could be greed, it could be all kinds of things. And I want you to hear a quote, and this is from the bad, the senior demon, the worldly wise demon, talking to his apprentice, Wormwood. And he says this, I had to read it three times before I got it. But this quote is powerful, it says, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion and more amusing. So I want you to hear this. The demon's saying, you want to get them? You know how to get them. Make them believe that they're spiritual. Moderated religion. If you want to get them, that's how you get them. It's even better than no religion at all. Because the people that have no religion, you know what they do? They recognize their need. The people that have religion sit day in and day out feeling like they're safe. We're not safe. We're not safe at all because we are subject to this body of death. Paul says, oh, wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you don't think it affects you, you don't understand what Paul was saying. Sin is real. It's at your doorstep. And yet what is God going to do? He's going to deliver you and he's going to transform. And he's not going to leave you. So the hope that we have is this. And I hope this, for my own life and for all of us, is that we are never seen as a church that has moderated religion. We are a church who understands the exposition that God has given us, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has died for us. And because of that reality, we were yet sinners. He saves us. Because of that reality, we will love better. Because of that, he will transform us. We should expect those things to happen. And my prayer is that they do happen that we will never be a church that will have just religion, but we will have a church that loves Jesus in a way that we can never even fathom and imagine. We sang the doxology. My goal is that my theology becomes my doxology as well. They're not contradictory. Everything we know to be true that we've been taught 
should help us form. But if we're not having time with the Lord and actually finding out who he is and that lone time, we'll never see that renewal. I pray that as we sing next week the doxology, I was just thinking of this. While we're saying it again, hear these words. Let's pray that our theology becomes our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.